0: You're listening to the Religion and Fiction Podcast, a podcast for people interested in the intersection of the sacred and story, offering insight, inspiration, and a bit of entertainment for the journey. I'm your host, Jeremy Bauma, a former pastor and theologian who writes stories under J.A. Bauma, stories that offer entertaining escape as well as insightful inspiration for the journey. In this episode, we get to know that ordinary heroes thrown headlong into the extraordinary events of the end times, giving you a glimpse into my story choices that sit at the intersection of the sacred and story from the perspective of an author. Stay tuned. Hey, Religious Fiction Readers, this is episode 19 of the Religion and Fiction Podcast, and I'm super excited that my Kickstarter launching my End Times Chronicles series out into the world has been doing super well. Thank you if you've backed and for your support. Another week left or so until this project comes to a close. So if you want to get in on the action early Head over to www.endtimesworld.com. Lots of different rewards, ranging from ebooks to audiobooks to signed paperbacks and hardcovers that are exclusive to this Kickstarter, that will introduce you to the latest story season Antichrist Rising, as well as to the full End Times Chronicles saga. Speaking of that saga, we want to continue in part two. With those characters who endure all those crazy apocalyptic events of the end times. Memorable characters are what make any story sing, and I am so excited about the cast that are part of, uh, well, this choir, to extend that analogy further, that... Tell their story about enduring the chaos and the conflict and the struggle to survive under the weight of a totalitarian regime that persecutes the church and requires full submission to its narrative in complete opposition to allegiance to Christ and the gospel. This is a truly global cast of characters from Africa and the Middle East and Eastern Europe, as well as some from the former United States, as well as even Lunatica, a province that is existing on the moon. Yeah, this is truly sci-fi. So without further ado, here are the characters that make up the resistance, contending for the faith and protecting the faithful all the while trying to survive the End Times events of the Book of Revelation. All right, so who are these characters that make up my story world? Well, one of the things that I'm super passionate about and really quite proud of with this series is the diverse cast of characters that I have in this End Times Chronicles story world. I mentioned in a previous video that the one of the major story themes of the End Times Chronicles series is this tag, the church's future is history. Well, correlating with that is the same sort of idea with the cast, that the church's future is global. And I mean that not only for my story world and the characters I have in that 100 years into the future, I mean that for the church right now, that the church's future is truly global because the church itself is global. It's not this Western white religion uh, that typically has characterized Christianity for the last couple centuries, for sure. Uh, But especially now, I truly believe that the hope for 21st century Christianity is the global South and the East and the leadership that is being provided for to navigate all of the cultural and social conditions and complications and uh, things that are coming against our contemporary church. And later down the road, a hundred years, I believe that the global church will be the leaders who are taking Christianity into the future and helping it survive and resist the coming regime and its persecuting narrative against the gospel. So these characters I have drawn from the the global church, beginning with the sort of main protagonist hero, Alexander Zaruk. He is a Young sort of thirty something parish priest who's also a bishop over one of the regions, Tripolitania in North Elkibulana. I talked about the sort of newfangled world and realigned world uh in the previous section, and North Africa features prominently in this series because it was. In the words of some theologians, the seedbed of Christianity, North Africa, you don't think of Christianity as being an African and Middle Eastern religion and it starting in that context. But for hundreds of years, that was the context of, of Christianity. It was African and Middle Eastern. And I reflect that in these characters, beginning with Alexander Zarouk, who's this, again, young pastor who's sort of struggling, wondering if he's made the biggest mistake of his life by following in the foots of his uh, of the path that his father set for him in his own footsteps as a leader, a cardinal within the ministerium, which is sort of the ruling body of Ichthus, uh, the Christian remnant in the future. And uh, he he starts very unsure of himself and his own commitment to his profession as a pastor priest but also his own faith wondering how it connects and fits in the changing modern world alongside him come a number of other characters who support him but also fight alongside him and they band together as this team this resistance which that language resistance becomes uh very prominent, particularly in the latter half of the second story season, Apocalypse Rising, but especially in the third story season, Antichrist Rising. The resistance is, is this protective body of the faith and the faithful. And Alexander Zaruk becomes eventually, you'll, I don't want to give too much away of the storyline, uh, but he becomes a prominent player, primarily because he, along with some of the other prominent ministerium leaders, rediscover an ancient religious order that uh, many of you who are my super fans have fallen in love with the past few years as I have written about this ancient religious order called the Order of Thaddeus. Yeah, the order makes a return appearance in my series a 100 years later, and we discover actually that something happened to the order and its uh, special ops arm, its muscular, more kinetic arm, Sepio, and the dynamics of the church, it, it, its place within culture, its experience of extreme persecution through the purge and the ratcheting of that persecution, and individual men and women believers, children being yanked from their homes, their businesses, off the street shipped off to reprogramming camps to realign with the prevailing regime's narrative. All of that necessitates this this rebirth of Sepio as the end times resistance to, again, protect the faith, but also protect the faithful. I don't get so much into that uh, survival as much as I hope to in another spinoff series called End Times Resistance, which I'm hoping to launch uh, next, early next year, end of this year. But in the meantime, these characters within the ministerium, as well as Resistance, are the heroes that help the church survive. And Alexander Zaruk is sort of the, the primary protagonist. He is helped by John Mark Ford. And he's a good old boy from Noramericana Americana who has a very interesting story because he was part of the Republic Legion. Uh, the Legion, of course, is a throwback to the Roman military arm, the Legion. And I sort of bring that forward again. I explain that connection to the, the imperial powers of the early church and, and the connection between the, story or the prophetic uh, revelations in John the seer's book of Revelation and its connection to the Empire Rome and I bring that forward and John Mark Ford was part of that Imperial persecution the within the Republic as an enforcer in fact an elite enforcer called a purifier who was responsible for getting unfits the uh, sort of the detritus of the republic polis getting them in line with the republic's narrative especially christians and he has a chance encounter with a a monk a benedictine monk that transforms his story and brings him later on into the ministerium to head up special operations for them and then the resistance and and from there he becomes as prominent of a character in As Alexander Zaruk. And it's really quite a redeeming storyline to see where he began and where he ends up. Uh, Joining that party of resistors is several more people from the global church. Junia Kaminsky, whose uh, sort of nickname is Nia. Junia is named after a character in the Book of Romans, who Paul reveals to be an apostle, a prominent apostle in the early church. And so I thought I'd carry her over as this very strong woman who is from Vostokana. She's Ukrainian, along with her son Joshua Kaminsky, who heads up the resistance movement to protect faithful believers from persecution. Another Ukrainian is Sasha Pavlovich, who I mentioned is a physicist who... Is who sparks the Chronicles part of End Times Chronicles by gifting the church the power to travel back in time. And so joining them, these Eastern Europeans are several more from other non Western parts of the world. Again, this is a global experience of the church, and especially Eastern Europe was. Uh, important for me, not only because of my connection there personally through several missions trips doing ministry work there as a former pastor, but especially because of their experience under extreme persecution under the weight of totalitarian regimes in the 20th century. Not, not necessarily the, the Nazi regime, but particularly the Soviet communistic social regimes, and I'll explain a little bit when I get to this resistance aspect of the series, Uh, but I drew heavily from church leaders who wrote to encourage Christian believers, Catholics, Orthodox believers, some Protestant but mostly Catholic Orthodox, who were living during the mid 20th century under the extreme totalitarian regime of the Soviet Empire and all of the crazy persecution stories they have that inform our own stories right now and the threat of at least a soft totalitarianism that is and will be coming against the not only global church, but also the Western church and These voices from the East, from Eastern Europe, the former Eastern Bloc, have so much to tell us. And I wanted them to share their insights through these characters, one of which is Father Tomas Polanko Kolokovic. Kolokovic was a Slavic Catholic priest who is vital for the underground church during this, those crazy Seasons under Soviet persecution. His insights help them survive, and so I I have a pain nod to him by incorporating his character into this story through Tomas Polanco-Kolokovic. And, of course, there are others. There's Ryder Reeves, who's an African-American man from North Americana, sort of another good old boy from the Deep South, who was an order remnant, sort of the, the last remaining members of the Order of Thaddeus, along with Karima Salam, who is a Persian f- former Muslim woman who found Christ, another one of those underground order remnant members who were dispersed when the Order of Thaddeus kind of began to crumble. Uh, then there's Rebecca Coney, who is kind of a love interest of, of Alexander Zaruk. She's from the Sub-Sahara El Kubulana, and her father is the Minister of Peace, who really waged war against a lot of those uh, provinces within Africa and launched this incredible persecution campaign against those unfits down there. And she was sold off to child slavery. And so Rebecca has quite an interesting story, a very redeeming story, alongside her her friend, Luciana Jane is another prominent woman from California, one of those provinces of the United States that broke off during the Second Civil War. And she is is a woman minister who has academic ministerial training, who brings a whole lot of insight into the historic faith, uh, but also prominent pastoral ministry during this time of superheated persecution. Uh, And then, of course, you have the sort of the the grandfather figure, the the sage who comes alongside these fighters, these resistors who are contending for the faith, and that is Father James Ferrero. He is Italian background, who grew up in Britannia and was an Oxford professor, one of Alexander Zarouk's professors, actually, who is a, a mentor to him and actually ropes him into his adventures protecting the faith and contending for the faith. James Ferreira has a number of insights and exhortations for the church nowadays when it comes to the sacrifices that we all need to make to keep the faith alive, to contend for the faith, to struggle in the midst of our changing cultural and social landscape. I love his insights that he brings along and and several others who come alongside these heroes to help the church survive. Of course, there are also these villains who are primarily from actually Western Europe. Uh, There's a reason for that, and most of, because of my academic training as a uh, historical theologian, I spent quite a bit of my own academic program reading through not only the the prominent voices of the early church, but particularly the modern church of the 20th, 19th, 20th century. And there were lots of church thinkers who arose during that time who sought to make the christian faith more palatable to culture and sought to change and reimagine christianity to make it conform to the emerging western values and many of those what you would call liberal theologians came out of continental western europe particularly Germ- uh, germany and those characters, those sort of villains, <laughs> uh, Apollos Nikolai is one of those who was a student, a fellow student of Alexander Zaruk at Oxford, who also trained to be a pastor, was a, a bishop of Germania. And he, his storyline is a very interesting one. Uh, Apollos comes from the Book of Acts, who was actually a, uh, a prominent voice within the church alongside Paul. He mentions him in his missionary journeys, and his name means destroyer in Greek. Gives you a little clue into the role that he will play in this story of mine. And Apollos Nikolai is from Germania, along with Dominic Weiss is another of those German prominent German minister voices, a cardinal within the ministerium who begins to come against The designs of James Ferrero, major conflict there, and is one of the antagonists who sought to dismantle the church in order to help it survive by kowtowing and accommodating the cultural pressures of the regime and its narrative of the republic several more antagonists that I don't want to get into because I don't want to give the story away. Uh, but there's a lot of interesting dynamics and you'll find, especially the antagonists, uh, because they arise during the first story season, apostasy rising as the church is imploding and wrestling with what is important for the faith. And what does it look like to be a Christian and to hold on to our own story, the gospel, in the face of the narratives of the republic regime, most of those antagonists actually come out of the church. The wings of the church that want to accommodate the faith to culture, which I think is an important story theme for our own sake. And rather than the villains coming from secular culture, uh, you know, some sort of authoritarian political regime or Hollywood or the business community or whatever other boogeyman that usually conservative Christians who write about these sort of things are fearful of, my antagonists are actually internal. They're not by and large external. And to see the compromises that these former, I would say former Christian characters make to accommodate their faith to the regime. Rather than resisting the regime, they accommodate the regime, I think is an important lesson and theme in this series that I'm excited about. And it creates this sharp contrast between the faithful remnant of of Christianity that are seeking to not only survive, but to maintain their victory unto the end to walk the walk, to remain faithful and victorious until that final day when Christ returns. In talking about these characters, I mentioned sort of in passing this uh, group within the church called the Resistance. The Resistance... uh, contrasts uh, another sort of generalized group called the Remnant. And one of the things I play with theme-wise in the series is this sort of contrast and distinction between the Remnant and the Resistance, and the two sort of uh, ways of going about surviving during the end times with these two perspectives or groups. For instance, Father James Ferrero is insistent that what the church needs, what it how Ichthus needs to live, to survive and navigate these end times events is not through force or through violence or even active resistance in that sort of pushing-back way against the regime, the narrative, in a kinetic, uh, I don't want to say violent way, but just in a forceful way. Instead, his posture is to retrieve through time travel, which he gets Alexander Zaruk and some others into, but, but his desire is to preserve the faith through a remnant of believers who are faithful to, to the gospel, faithful to living it and faithful to sharing it with the world. Because obviously, during the end times, it's it's the final events leading up to the return of Christ. And And I'll talk about this more when I explain my own perspective that others have shared about the, those events in the book of Revelation and what it means, that book, and what the scrolls mean and the trumpets mean and the, the bowls mean. But the trumpets and bowls specifically indicate the the final months, weeks, or years between when God's judgment begins to fall and when that judgment is wrapped up and there's no longer any chance for the world to submit to Jesus as Lord And embrace him as Savior, confess their sins, and align with Christ. Well, leading up to that, Father Jim longs for believers to, yeah, maintain their faith, to continue walking with Christ, even under the weight of persecution, uh, and to be victorious unto the end in their own personal walk and in their faithfulness and clinging to and holding on to the faith and their allegiance to Jesus Christ. But he also wants them to testify to the good news and the hope of Christ and the possibility of forgiveness of their sins and rebellion against God and their the gift of, of salvation through Jesus. He wants the church, the remnant, the the believers who are left at the end of the age to bring more into Christ's family. And so he has more of a, more of a passive posture, if you will, to survival during the end times, becoming a remnant, uh, preserving the faith, and helping the faithful survive— in a faith sort of sense. Well, on the other side of it is the resistance that's headlined by Junia Kaminsky's son, Joshua Kaminsky. And Joshua is a kind of a man's man. He's a fighter. And the reasons for that that go back to his childhood that you find out more in book or season three, Antichrist Rising, and Joshua leads this band of resistors and that team is Zeljka JL Miggs and Cho and alongside them is Miguel's or Miggs's White Shepherd Sponto uh Spanish for espanto a sort of shortened version meaning ghost or phantom and uh this is the band of resistors who are far more active in resisting the imperial demands of the Republic. So there's this tension between the Remnant and the Resistance, and the Resistance becomes far more prominent in this final story season. That's because, as the title suggests, the Antichrist rises to the Solterra stage. Uh, He storms onto Earth, and demands full allegiance to himself, which is in turn to the red dragon, Satan. And in the middle of all this, the church is struggling to survive. And so Joshua and his resistors are helping the church to do that in a far more overt and forceful, violent at times sort of way. And it creates this interesting conflict between two different polar opposite uh, responses to the superheated fires that the church is enduring. One of the reasons why the resistance is so important and becomes a stronger theme as the series moves forward, especially in this final one, is because that final story season and the latter half of the Apocalypse Rising book is that much of what is happening in this story world to the church reflects very, very starkly the same sort of totalitarian persecution that those believers in the 20th century endured under the weight of the Soviet Union and its own totalitarian persecution of the church. And as I mentioned when I spoke about the characters and their influence, uh, Thomas Polanco-Kolokovic and him channeling the insights and exhortations of those believers in the middle of the 20th century from Eastern Europe, those lessons, those exhortations are brought through the resistance and all of those characters and their own posture towards survival into the series. And I channel uh, several different books, one of which is is an excellent one that uh, I would highly recommend for believers seeking to understand how to live and survive in our own day and age and the emerging soft totalitarianism. Uh, but Rod Dreher, who is a longtime commentator, wrote a wonderful book that came out last year, fall, I believe, Live Not by Lies. And it reflects a quotation from Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was an anti-communist dissident during this period of actual hardcore totalitarianism in Eastern Europe. And he said exactly what the title suggests, that we are called as people to resist the call and the pull to live by lies. And instead, lies should not live through us. Our own actions, our own mental assent, and even verbal signaling to the regime's narrative that flies in the face and actually contradicts the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, our way must never knowingly support lies. Let their rule hold not through me. And that advice, that exhortation to people living under actual totalitarianism still holds true for those who are under the blanket of a emerging soft totalitarianism. And a lot of that comes out in this book through these themes of survival Under the regime and its narrative, and the resistors help the church do that. Alongside that is the advice of Kolakovich again. He was proud to come alongside Christians specifically and help them survive. And there were three words that he often used to describe this resistance against the regime and its narrative. He said we must see, judge, and act. Whenever it comes to the regime and its narrative, we must notice, we must see what is happening. We must judge whether or not those beliefs, those narratives, those signals that people are sending in support of the narrative, if they conform to the word of God and the gospel And then we must act, we must take what we see and judge, but then live in a way that is consistent with the gospel and with the word of God, not with the regime and its narrative. If you haven't uh, caught on yet, I believe that there is prominent advice and exhortation and insight from these believers and activists and dissidents from this era in the 20th century from those who lived under the weight of totalitarianism as it applies to our own emerging culture in the West, but also throughout the world. You've seen Christians survive and actually thrive in the underground, in China specifically, but also uh, non- prominently Christian nations like India and Pakistan, and a lot of majority Muslim nations in the global south. Christians have been surviving for decades, centuries even, under the weight of persecution and authoritarian rule. We in the West don't know how to do that, uh, but the advice and the insight of brothers and sisters around the globe outside of the West, specifically outside of America, is so instructive, and I really longed to bring those insights and exhortations into the series through the Resistance and these characters in their own struggle to survive. And hopefully, the Resistance will carry forward, because I intend to dive deeper into a lot of these stories of survival in a spinoff series called End Times Resistance. Hopefully it will come out end of the year into next year and feature a lot of these characters who survive until the end when Jesus returns. But we're going to back it up a bit and go back in the timeline during these events of the apocalypse and showcase these stories of resistance in a more micro level and community level with these Resistance characters that I've grown to love writing them, and I hope you do too, as you read about their stories of survival under the regime in resistance to its narrative. Thanks again for listening to the Religion and Fiction podcast, exploring some of my own behind-the-scenes insights into the apocalyptic end times story I wrote to help Christians resist the narrative of regimes competing with the gospel in all its forms. Next week, we'll compare this modern retelling of the events to the Left Behind series, exploring the theology behind this story. Get details at endtimesworld.com to join Alexander Zarouk and the Resistance in their adventure through the end times. Thanks for listening. Happy reading.